You're listening to the official podcast of Oasis Community Church, where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. If you'd like to learn more about Oasis, request prayer, or get in touch with a pastor, visit our website at oasischurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Our epistle passage for today talks a lot about suffering. And of course, this isn't a happy topic. In fact, when it opens, it opens with what I thought was a rhetorical question. That is, if you are eager to do good, then what makes you think you would suffer harm? And of course, the, the obvious answer would that to be, well, if I'm eager to do good, then, then I won't suffer harm. But immediately Peter says, but if you do suffer for doing good, that you should consider yourself blessed and that you should respond in ways that are full of gentleness and reverence. He tells us that we should be ready to explain ourselves, like why are we choosing to behave this way, particularly if we're going to suffer for behaving that way. Now, having to suffer for doing good doesn't seem to be a calculus that is fair. But of course, we know it's exactly what happened to Jesus. And Peter kind of turns to this. He kind of says, the righteous suffered for the unrighteous. And that though his, his body was, was killed, his spirit was alive. And he talks about his spirit going to proclaim the, the good news to those who are in prison. Now, that's a passage of scripture that would contribute to this idea that we hear in the Apostles' Creed that Jesus was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. That bit comes from this passage in 1 Peter 3. It's verse 19 where it says that his spirit was alive and that he went to proclaim uh, the good news to the spirits in prison. And in particular, it references those who had died in the flood, in the great flood from Genesis. So the point here is that the event of Jesus is so effective that it doesn't just uh, have significance for those at the time of Jesus and everyone who's lived since then, but that it affects all people of all time. That this event, this the one, the righteous one, kind of giving up his life for the unrighteous, kind of affects us all. And that's, that's a beautiful story, and, and that's, that's a part of the creed that the church has confessed for years and years and years. It goes on to say, at the end of the passage, it references the resurrection, it references the ascension, right, which is also part of the creed. He ascended into heaven, and he sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And it says here at the end of 1 Peter that all authority has been placed uh, beneath him, that Jesus is the kind of final judge. He's the, the supreme um, leader. Now, we live in a world, of course, that doesn't always kind of work out the way we'd like. We'd like it to be that we would only suffer when we've done something wrong and that we would never have to suffer if we choose to do something good. But our world is broken, and often the status quo kind of props up uh, the majority or it props up often kind of uh, a small kind of 
gifted or privileged minority. And so when that happens, sometimes the right thing to do is to kind of stand up and resist the status quo and to advocate for those who are marginalized. And there's a story that I'd like to share with you. It's a true story. It's about a conscientious objector. His name was Franz Jägerstadter, and he was Austrian. He and his wife lived in a small village in Austria, and they were farmers in the 1930s. And he was kind of recruited, uh, drafted by the German military because Germany had taken over Austria. And he was going to be asked or required to fight for the Germans during the Second World War. Part of that requirement was for him to pledge an oath of allegiance to Adolf Hitler. And Franz decided that he just couldn't do it, that his conscience wouldn't let him. Now, he was met with a lot of resistance. Like even in his small farming village, there were those who felt like he had kind of betrayed them, betrayed their village, betrayed their nation, that he kind of wasn't willing to kind of fight kind of for them. And there was a movie made about this uh, last year by Tal uh, Terrence Malick. And it's, it's beautiful, and I really would recommend it. Uh, it's a beautiful cinematography. Malick's a great storyteller. And in it, it kind of portrays the mayor of the village kind of accosting Franz, saying, look, you need to be one of us and, and kind of work for us. And, and Franz, of course, is like, he, he is. He's like, I'm for you. I just, I just can't make this oath to Adolf Hitler. And even his priest encouraged him. He said, these are just words. Like, you can, you can say these things and you'll live, right? Because not to take the oath means that you'll be imprisoned, and there's a good chance it means that you'll be executed. But if you do so, you can live, and you can live with your wife, and you can provide for your children. And of course, there's a lot of folks who might say that might have been the best choice. And one of the things that was said to Franz is like, look, you're just, you're just one poor farmer, you not saying this oath isn't going to make a difference. Like, this war is going to move forward with or without you. Like, your agreement to participate or your refusal to participate isn't going to have a lasting impact on, on the outcome of the war, on the outcome of what will happen for this country or for this village. But Franz was, was committed by his personal conviction that it was the wrong thing to do and that he just... He just couldn't do it. And so he suffered from doing what is good. He was put in prison. And um, eventually he was put to death by the Germans. While he was in prison, he wrote letters. He and his wife would write letters back and forth to one another. They were collected and published. And Franz was Catholic. And he was later proclaimed a martyr uh, by the Catholic Church. In the film uh, that tells a story, it has this parable that is called the, the Lesson of the Blacksmith. And it goes, it goes something like this. It says, the anvil never strikes back, that the anvil doesn't need to. Yet, the anvil outlasts the hammer, 
And whatever's being shaped by the blacksmith is shaped as much by the anvil as it is by the hammer. It's this message of kind of nonviolent resistance, a message of being in the world, as Peter would say, with gentleness and reverence, of being able to explain why is it that we believe what we believe and we're committed to behave the way we're committed to behave. And yet, even if that's not supported by the dominant culture, even if that kind of goes against the status quo, it is what we are called to do. And I think what Franz has done here is very similar to what Jesus has done, where with Jesus, it was the righteous kind of giving up his life for the unrighteous. And it was Franz's kind of commitment to his conviction that, that prevented him from making that oath. And there's something very powerful about that testimony, a testimony of a simple life, a hidden life, kind of committed to doing what's right, even in the face of consequences that were so severe. So as this passage ends, the, the first Peter passage, and it says that all authorities have kind of been placed beneath Jesus, it reminds me of another passage, this one from Paul, that talks about the way in which God is kind of active in uh, setting up governments and authorities. It's Romans 13. And I often hear this quoted in a way that says that kind of all civil disobedience is suspect. That if God set up the government, whatever the government says to do, we should do. But I think that's a misreading of this text. I think what it is saying is that we can be Christians in our nations and serve as good citizens. Like, as far as it depends on us, we'll live at peace with all people. We'll pay our taxes. We'll live peace, peacefully. But we shouldn't think that it somehow ordains all decisions. Uh, great Christian thinkers have considered this kind of throughout the centuries. Augustine would say that an unjust law is no law at all. And Aquinas would come along later and say similar things, that if a law is unjust, if a law does not promote kind of the love of neighbor, then it's kind of our duty not to follow it. Because you see, what Romans 13 is saying is that the government is not the ultimate authority. The ultimate authority is God, that God establishes those authorities. But sometimes those authorities become ungodly, that they don't live out the way they're supposed to live, that they don't promote the love of neighbor, and they don't promote peace. And when that happens, we are responsible to uh, declare our allegiance to God and to live in the way that God would have us live, even if it puts us at odds with the authorities. You see, one way to read a passage like Romans 13 is to pay careful attention to those texts that come just before and just after it. And I think in this case, that can be very informative. Let's look at the end of Romans chapter 12 and see what it says. I'm reading from Romans chapter 12, beginning with verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. 
Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, so far it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. No, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals on their heads. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You see, that's exactly what, how we should live. That our goal is not to exact wrath. It's not to retaliate. It's not to get vengeance. That's, that's for God. Peter says something very similar. He says, if you're going to suffer, suffer for doing what's good. Don't suffer for doing what's evil. In the film with Franz Jagerstadter, A Hidden Life, there's this beautiful line. It says, it's better to suffer injustice than it is to commit it. And that, again, I think that's exactly what Peter is saying. He's like, be ready to explain yourself why you're doing what you're doing, but do it with gentleness and reverence. And so this is what governments do when they're at their best, right? They're providing us parameters. They're, they offer a certain level of protection and opportunities for, for communities to have healthy economies so that we can uh, live good lives, that the common good can be served by our kind of collective living together. But again, when that's not the case, our responsibility is to do what's right, despite the fact that the government might say, don't do that. Another way to think about this, and Martin Luther King uh, is famous for saying it, is that everything that the SS did during World War II, and this, this kind of resonates with the story of Franz Jägerstadter, but everything that the SS did during World War II was legal. Like, legally, they were able to put Jews in prison, and legally, they were able to kind of execute them. And that everything that those who resisted, those who kind of hid Jews, like, like um, Corey Tim Boone's family in, outside of Amsterdam, like that was illegal. And so the laws that, we've, that we have, some of them need to be changed, and some of them actually promote things that are contrary to the law of God, and that that's what we're called to. I mean, evil has this capacity even to kind of take the perfect law of God and work it against us. Paul says this earlier in Romans. How much more so could evil work against just human laws? But we see, so we see just before the statement about the government in Romans 13 at the end of 12, all of that, don't return evil for evil. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with all people. Wrath that's God's business, not your business. Just, just live healthy, wholesome, loving, peaceful lives. And then just after that passage in Romans 13, at the beginning of Romans 13, 
It says this. So this is immediately following the statement about, about the government. We're going to start with verse 8. It says, Oh, no one anything except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and um, any other commandment are summed up in this word, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. So this resonates with the story that we have from the Gospels. Um, And the Gospel writers will tell the story in different ways. Sometimes someone will come to Jesus and say, what's the greatest uh, commandment? And then in Luke's account of the story, it's Jesus who's asking this attorney, what's the greatest commandment? But however the story goes, the answer that the gospel writers give us is that the greatest commandment is, comes in two parts. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Those aren't, those aren't really two commandments so much as they are one. That it's impossible, I think, to kind of love God without loving your neighbor. And I think anytime we love our neighbor, that just shows the very love of God that is coming in and through us to love them. It's interesting here in Romans 13 that Paul doesn't mention the love of God, but he does say this, like any of the commandments, and he lists several of them, but he says this also goes for the other commandments, that if you want to accomplish the commandments of God, you should love your neighbor, and in doing so, you will fulfill them. That there is no law that is opposed to this. And what he means by that is there is no just law, there's no true law. Uh, Quoting again Augustine and Aquinas as to what accounts for the, the true measurement of how we should live as Christians. So, My hope for us is that we won't suffer for doing good, but that if we do, we can do so with gentleness and reverence, and that we would declare our allegiance to the one who sits on the throne and to the one who all authority has been placed beneath him. And this this is how the story will end that in the end, Jesus will come and he will make all things right. And so between now and then, I think we can pray and we're going to end our time together with a prayer from uh, Francis of Assisi. A prayer hopefully that can guide us as we live our lives this week and next week and in the months to come. A way of being in this world that models both this lesson from 1 Peter that also resonates uh, from Romans uh, 12 and 13, and that it, it also kind of picks up on this, this faithfulness and this life of conviction that we see from people like Franz Jägerstad. So God bless. We hope you were blessed by today's podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to support us, you can do so by subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can leave us a review on iTunes, and if you want to contribute to Oasis financially, you can go to oasischurch.org. 
May the Lord bless you and keep you, and may God's face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen.